the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to Jesus Christ. You may be scratching your head as I made the announcement, if you remember, that I wouldn't be preaching this morning, but that we would have uh, missionaries visiting with us this morning. Unfortunately, one of them uh, got sick, and therefore, they, both families were unable to be with us this morning. So, I'm still going to preach about missions, though. In the Orthodox Church, many of us, when we think about Orthodoxy, we think about Orthodoxy in the Greek tongue, maybe the Russian tongue, or the Slavonic tongue underlying the Slavic churches. We think maybe of here, St. Anne's, or other missions throughout North America. But the Orthodox Church is alive and active in Africa, in Asia, in all sorts of places that you wouldn't think to see these kind of icons these kind of vestments, but they're there. They're in the deserts of Africa. They're in the tropics. They're there beside the ocean. They are all over the place, from Madagascar to Japan. Japan actually has an autonomous Orthodox Church. The Orthodox Church is a universal church. It is the mission of the church Maybe we have a focus, mission outside, somebody else, a special person called a missionary who maybe we give a little bit of our budget to, or maybe we support through our prayers, but there is always mission that is called for every single one of us, for we are all ambassadors, we are all co-workers, we are all brought into the mission of Jesus Christ in the world, which is the churching of everything. Now I'm going to refer back to a reading that we had at Vespers last night. Well, I'm assuming we had it because I wasn't able to be here. I assumed that we did that. Uh, and this is, you'll have to hang with me for a minute because you may be, well, how is he going to get mission out of this text? Now, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night. And he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. Our patriarch and father, Abraham, his brother who's taken captive is Lot. I'm sure we're all familiar with the name Lot. For the previous chapters in Genesis, Lot and Abraham uh, have been side by side. Abraham, in his sojourn in the promised land, has grown in stature. He's got a lot of animals. And because he has a lot of animals, he has a lot of servants. Because in the ancient Near East, it was not at this time, it wasn't that you had uh, set boundaries. You kind of had different groups led by a patriarch because you have animals. So you move around because you have to feed them. And it is that Abraham and Lot 
there's too many, uh, there's not enough details had been explained. And Lot and Abraham are starting to have conflict. And Lot pitches his tent, you may remember this. He looked to the cities of the plain where Sodom and Gomorrah were, and he saw money, civilization, culture, possibilities. He looked to New York City, and he said, I'm going there, I'm going to make it, or maybe L.A. And he said, Abram, I'm going to take some sheep, and I'm going. What happens is Lot gets lost. Lot is taken captive by forces. And Abram, thinking about his brother and all that had come between them, he goes off to free his brother. Now you may be wondering, why does the church at Vespers have this reading? And we'll continue the reading because I haven't read all of it. The church celebrates today the Sunday of the Fathers of the Seventh Ecumenical Council. And this is one of the readings that is typical for the Sundays that we have for the fathers of the various ecumenical councils. We have Abram, who is in many ways a symbol of our Lord Jesus Christ, and his servants, the 318 servants, they are, and the way the church thinks about it, especially for the first ecumenical council, there's about 300 bishops there present at the council. So the fathers, when they came to this text, they said, okay, this is a text for seeing the church especially the church gathered in ecumenical council. And we say, Father, I'm still a little bit lost as to why this text would be used for an ecumenical council of the church. The mission of the church is the continued mission of our Lord. The mission of the church is the conquering, the saving through that conquering of all the captives, of you and me, captive in sin, the way that we talk about Egypt, the way that we talk about the chains of addiction, or we talk about the ways in which we are oppressed by forces outside of us, forces that we maybe have given ourselves over to at some point in the past, and now are under their thumb. This is the experience of sin and ultimately the experience of death, whom the church even personifies. And you might see this in certain icons as this giant serpent feeding upon people. Abram, throughout this time, before this rescue operation for his brother Lot, he had been going throughout the promised land that had been given to him or promised to him by our Lord. And as you read through the chapters of Genesis after the promise that God made to Abraham that through him he would save all mankind, that his progeny, those that would come after him, would be as numberless as the stars or the sand of the sea, Abram's been going, moving throughout the land. And everywhere that he has been going throughout the land, he's built an altar. He's prayed over the land, and he's defended his people. For Abram and his servants, those with him, are like the church, moving 
through time, through space, building altars, praying over the land, defending and freeing those that are enslaved. And it is Abram and his servants, 300 of them, that go as the church in its, as we like to talk about, the church militant, the church in its military array. If you even look at the banners that we have on the sides when we go in procession, this echoes the Roman insignia. These are where the banners of the church come from. We don't have the sign of the emperor on them. Well, we do have the sign of the emperor on them, I should say. That being our Lord. And when we go on procession, we are in many ways like Abram and his servants in the clan, if you will, going through the land, praying over it and conquering it. We, the faithful, have this mission that when our brother one who has maybe broken bread at our table or our brethren that we wish to have come and break bread at our table, whether they have pitched their tent towards Sodom and the wickedness of Sodom, as scripture tells us, that we, in following our Lord and our leader, are to fight, to fight the powers and principalities. This specifically, I would encourage to have the mindset that we are in war. We're not warring against people. We, as the Apostle Paul tells us, we are warring against powers and principalities, the forces of darkness and wickedness that oppress not only us, but all those who are enslaved. That means that our armor and our sword are not the same thing as what Abram and his servants had, but they are prayer. They are reaching out. They are faith. They are following the commandments of our Lord. They are all the things that the Apostle Paul, at the end of the epistle to the Ephesians, tells us to gird up ourselves, to put on the armor, put on the helmet, have the shield and the sword to do war, with all that opposes God. This means, brothers and sisters, that our mission in this world, especially, is found in prayer, intercessory prayer for all those that are around us, like Abram and his servants going through land, building altars and praying. We, in our daily life, no matter where we are, are called to pray, to wrestle with God even in prayer on behalf of our lost brethren. That means those faces that we may have seen for years and now do not see in our midst here this morning. That means those that we are around, family, friends, co-workers, who need the knowledge and the grace of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ but are just held back, constrained or oppressed by something in their life. This also means, besides prayer, coming to know the truth of Jesus Christ so that we know how to articulate the gospel. As the Apostle Peter says 
that we know how to answer for the hope that is within us. That doesn't mean that we become theology professors. That does not mean that we become scholars of the ancient Near East or the Old Testament. But it does mean that we know Jesus Christ. We know his commandments. We're familiar with the Gospels so that when someone asks you a question, I was coming back from Miami in their diocesan assembly, and you may be surprised that when you tell somebody you're a priest uh, and you're sitting next to them for two hours, there's going to be some questions. So I spent two hours on the way back from Miami in the plane talking about all sorts of questions. It's not very often, I guess, you have a priest kind of constrained in one spot <laughs> that you can ask all of the burning questions that you've had. And if I had not, throughout my years, and not even just being ordained, wrestled with Scripture, been wrestling and talking with others, some of the questions, what is hell? What is prayer? What does it mean to follow God? What exactly are sacraments? I don't really understand that. To be able to try and talk with somebody, and it doesn't have to be highfalutin theology. I wasn't quoting, you know, St. Gregory the Theologian and St. Maximus the Confessor. You just have to quote our Lord. You have to know the basic overview of Scripture, where we're going, what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Because we are all called like those 318 servants, to dispel misunderstandings, to grant a little bit of clarity. And then, of course, afterwards, those kind of encounters or before those encounters, be praying for those that we encounter, that we come to see and know. This is something that is very popular in orthodoxy. You've probably heard this for years. And there's something right about it. So the Orthodox Church, the way that we do mission is we say, come and see. Are you all familiar with this? There's something right about this. There's also something that I want to push a little bit on. Come and see basically says, I'm going to wait until I've known somebody five years. And then maybe I will say, maybe you should come to my church that you've never heard of. And maybe you can see. And it's very passive. We have this image of militancy, and I do not mean, so now you need to go get your Bible out, and you need to start, you know, hitting it as you talk to people at the water cooler, or in the Zoom meeting or something. But there is opportunities that are given to you all the time. We are surrounded by hurting people. We're surrounded by people who have all sorts of questions. And if they know that you're just kind of a Christian, in a kind of abstract way, they're probably going to assume that you're like everybody else or that you have the same thing to tell them, but orthodoxy doesn't. I'm always, you know, I've been around it long enough. I, this is just what I know and believe, right? But then when I talk with others who have no contact, no understanding of orthodoxy, all of a sudden it's like, wow, we actually have a lot of stuff going for us. <laughs> And it is something to be able to see, you know, the lights kind of turn on and be like, oh, so that's what that is. Or that makes a little bit more sense than what I've heard 
or what maybe I crystallized in my mind when I was 12. God is upstairs with the big beard. And it's like, no, let's talk about Jesus. When Abram releases and rescues Lot, they come back with all of the goods and Lot and everyone that they had saved and the kings, because there are all sorts of different little warring clans and kingdoms around them. The king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shavah. That is the king's valley. So they meet in the king's valley. And then in the king's valley comes Melchizedek, king of Salem, who brings out bread and wine. And he is the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. The end goal after we have saved or after our Lord comes through our prayers and through our explaining, preaching, teaching those around us. We then come to the king's valley And the king of Salem, Salem means peace, the king of peace, brings out bread and wine. He's the priest of the God Most High. The end goal is that we are basically inviting and praying for everyone to come to the great wedding feast. To come to the celebration where bread and wine is put before us where the king of peace in the king's valley turns to us and offers us bread and wine. We are called to bring the entire world to the wedding table, a table as the prophets in Isaiah and other places say is laden with bread and wine to the table where we praise and bless God as we will in just a few moments for everything that he has given us, life and the new life in Jesus Christ. This is the table of sacrifice, of union, of peace with God. Do you not want to see those that you know, those that you are learning to love, to be beside you at this table? This is the good news. This is the mission work that we all have, whether it is on Hardin Valley Road or Kingston Pike or in Hong Kong or London or etc. This is the good word. This is the kingdom. This is why we prepare ourselves to fight and engage with the spiritual warfare within our own hearts and for those that we love. So that we may, at the end, as we heard in the gospel this morning after this miracle, be with the crowd that says God has visited his people. For truly Christ is in our midst and he will give us himself in the bread and wine, the king of peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.